Welcome to Remodel Your Life. We are shining the light on women thriving in the trades and remodeling their life into something better. Join a female carpenter as she interviews women around the country about the incredible variety of careers and financial opportunities for women in construction and the skilled trades. And now, your host, Camille Finan. Hey everybody, good afternoon. I have an amazing woman today. Uh, Rachel Brown owns Rachel Brown Homes. She builds like custom luxury homes in Alabama. Um, Rachel, thank you so much for joining us today. I'm so thrilled to be here with you today. I just only wish it was in person. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, you've won multiple awards for your building and and the whole thing that you're doing. I think it's incredible. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about how I think women can use being a woman as an actual competitive advantage in selling, right? And getting clients. And, and I did sure. kitchens, you do full entire houses. You're, I, I have a C5 license, you're a general contractor, but we're doing a lot of the same things as far as working primarily with women and design. Um, but before we get to that, can you kind of give us a little background on how you came to be running this, you know, huge company that's very, very successful, um, and and sort of the genesis of you getting into the, you know, custom home building and becoming a general contractor. Sure, absolutely. I'm a second generation general contractor and land developer. So my mother and my father owned their own company, and you know, it's in my blood, and I grew up in it. So I was able to witness not only the ins and outs of construction and land development, but also what it takes to be an entrepreneur, which is a whole nother conversation for another day, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, but, but that being said, um, when I graduated college, I came home to work for my father and his company, and he passed away suddenly shortly, you know, just within a few years of me coming home. So overnight, I took over a multi-million dollar empire hmm. and um, ran with it. So it's been 17 years. Um, I've been in the business 17 years in my wow. adult life. Hmm. Yes. Wow. And so what were the first like, so how old were you when you took over this, you know, very complex business, basically? 26. Wow. 26. Okay. Um, and so what were yeah. the first like three years like? <laughs> <laughs> um, the first six months like? Yes. Well, very fortunately, um, naturally, I am a hustler and I love to work. So fortunately for me, I did not have to fight my own battles with becoming um, someone that could be a workhorse. I already was that. But Anytime you go through emotional trauma and now suddenly overnight you're taking care of your family and yourself and you're in your 20s and really truly your girlfriends at my girlfriends at that point in time were that was at the that was after you'd graduated college you'd come home and now you're starting to figure out who you are. Mm -hmm. So you're going out every night and you're shopping and you're traveling and you're just trying to figure out who you want to be when you grow up. Um, so I had to bypass some of that. But 
in the depths of a lot of work and difficulty, I really truly found out probably quicker than they did over the long term of my life what I wanted and who I was. Hmm. Uh, and so I wouldn't take it back for anything. I, I hate that I lost my father. I wish that I could have him back, but there is so much growth in pain. Mm -hmm. uh, so by the time I was 30 years old, I knew exactly who I was and what I wanted to be. So, hmm. and so what, what do you think my, I had a similar experience in the sense that my dad, I, you know, I grew up on a job site running around, you know, sawdust on my feet and, um, you know, the, the skill sets that, that, that he gave me basically from zero to 10 are pretty much what I live off of right now. Right. right. And so what were the, some of the skills that you think he prepared you for that, that was a natural transition because it could have very easily been that like some other person just stepped up and became the partner or it got sold off. Right. Like it's pretty still unusual that a young, you know, the young daughter would have literally taken that over. So what are, what do you like, what do you think some of the skills are that he taught you that made you feel like you could even do that? Um, I would say the number, and that's such a great question, by the way. So thank you for asking it, because I do feel like your skill set, sharpening your pencil is how any young woman or young man, mm -hmm. um, and even as we age, how you progress into the goals that you set out for yourself. But if, if I could just pick one word that has stuck with me um, since he passed, and it's the word, or really rather the ability to pivot. Hmm. Um Pivoting hard, pivoting fast, and pivoting strategically, um, you've got to be able to, if you're going to survive really anything in your life, you've got to figure out how to take um, something that's fallen in your lap, whether it's small or large, and whether it's going to take a short amount of time to get through or a long amount of time to get through. You've got to be able to pivot and find another way, which construction in its essence is a series of pivoting. <laughs> yes. Right? You a know series that. of problems after problem solving, solving, solving. Yes. Mm -hmm. It really is. And you have to have, um, you know, he had a lot of grit. He was a very kind man. He was very giving and loyal and loving, but he had a lot of grit. Mm -hmm. You know, he, he was very stubborn and I'm the same way. So if you learn how to pivot and you, you just learn how to thrive, um, under mm -hmm. pressure. Mm -hmm. Those are probably the largest skill sets, but also you cannot undersell, um, you cannot oversell having a career, undersell, excuse me, having a career that you actually really, really deeply are passionate about. Mm -hmm. And I know that's kind of a catch all phrase sometimes, right? I'm sure you've heard it a lot. Maybe you've said it a lot, but there's a big difference in between when you are not in the crux of something you like and trying to survive it versus look, you really love it, but you're going through a difficult time. Mm -hmm. So what did you, so to speak to that a little deeper, what did you really love? What did you recognize? Cause again, you went off to school and you were going off to school for, you know, I'm assuming you weren't going for school for construction management or a trade or a vocational school or to get your license, right? You were, right. you were probably going to university for something else. So when you came back and that happened, how did you know you loved it? I guess is what I'm saying. How were you able to identify that the day to day, I always tell my students, like, if you love the day to day, even if it's hard, 
right? Like I'm a morning person. You can't do construction if you don't like getting up in the morning, right? So you have to <laughs> like the day-to-day things that are happening. So how did you, what, how did that manifest to you? Like specifically, what did you like about, about being on the job site? Well, so very, so to, to give you a little bit of background, when I went to Auburn, I graduated from Auburn, Warden and Eagle to any, uh, Auburn graduates out there. Um, but, I. My undergraduate is a psychology degree. So really in get, obtaining a psychology degree, degree, I was able to evaluate what I really liked and what I didn't. And so when I left Auburn, I applied to go to art school. Um, and hmm. because it, it, it like in fashion merchandising or interior design, I wanted to go either one of those programs. So my dad told me that he would pay for me to go live in Atlanta and go to art school as long as I got a degree at Auburn first. So, hmm. um, so I knew uh, that I was a very creative person and that goes hand in hand with construction. Mm-hmm. And when I made the decision not to actually go to art school, to come home and work for my father, it was because I, growing up, I did have a lot of experience with construction and I did like working with subcontractors and I liked red mud and seeing, (laughs) you know, seeing a house come out of the ground and that you could go pick out a piece of land, plan it, put a lot of hours in on it, design it, blah, blah, blah. And then by the time you got done, you could have a, a, an entire development full of homes and it was all at your hands. And so I liked that idea. Hmm. Well, I love the combination of, psychology and a visual arts, right? Like something where you can visualize what I'm like, that's literally what I did in my job, right? So I love that combination because you're basically dealing with people and emotions, right? And what motivates people, what their pain points are, and then how to visualize something that's beautiful and bring it to life. So it's a perfect marriage. It's like peanut butter and jelly. Oh, man, you're so right. Or chocolate and peanut butter. Let's say that because I don't like peanut butter and jelly. Chocolate and peanut butter. Um, Or like cheese and wine. Cheese and wine. Yeah. Oh, cheese and wine. You're speaking my language. (laughs) There we go. Um, Okay. So so I kind of get I kind of get how you fell into it. And there was something tangible that you could you could you could grasp onto and go, oh, I love this part. Um, And so how many. I mean, 17 years is a long time to be doing something that is inherently, a, you know, a fairly stressful job. There's a lot of things to solve, a lot of issues and challenges that come up. What do you feel like as a leader, how did you grow from, you know, a young woman that's really, this is just dropped in your lap and you're grieving for your dad that you loved and then learning the trade, learning just how to make it freaking happen, Right. How did you grow as a leader, like over that first 10 years, like, and really step into your own power? So I'll give you a little bit of background on, on my grandfather. Okay. Because this is an important story. My grandfather grew up destitute in Phoenix city, which if you don't know the history on Phoenix city, it is rough and they've written lots of Mm. books about it. And he ended up going to work for NASA as a physicist hmm. and he went to school um, in uh, Georgia. I think he went to Mercer, became an engineer and how he did it. He learned very early on 
to read, read, read. If you don't know how to do something, read, read it again. Mm -hmm. Um, I guess literature and books were the most economical way to figure out how to solve a problem and overcome something. So I have applied that to my life as well. I I read constantly. Hmm. Um, I like to educate myself. And when I, I, I want, I decided a long time ago that I wanted to be very, very well-rounded. And I truly believe the only way to do that is to read, surround yourself with other well-rounded people that you can um, mm-hmm. be yeah. mentored by and mimic and follow and um, just make friends with peers or not be afraid to ask somebody that you look up to or even that you compete with how are you getting this right? Hmm. And so as a female leader, really, people ask me all the time, okay, now you're leading all these mostly male subcontractors. Um, you're leading your employees. You're leading the clients. Um, you're leading real estate agents. You're leading vendors. How are you doing that as a female? Um, and it's still today, 17 years later, is a challenge. But I really, really wanted to make sure that through this last 17 years, you know, I hired a business coach. I've had a, um, a business coach um, for like the last two years. I just set out to, to become the most well-rounded leader that I possibly could. Yeah. Well, and you continued learning. That's what I'm hearing is the books start with a $10 book or a $15 book, right? School, like you're continued educating yourself right? No matter what that, what, no matter what that meant. And then later it was a business coach, but it's the same concept, right? You're putting new ideas into your head and applying them <laughs> and naturally you become better, right? That's right. And then you go out and you fail a whole lot mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and then you come back with your failure. Hashtag been there. <laughs> that's right. You know, you know, yeah. that's the whole word pivot. You, I wish that I could say, I, I, I know, I really wish that I could say from the outside looking in that it's like, and you know this, you Mm -hmm. know this, it's 99.1% of all success. And then there's the other that's failure. And I would say it's like 99% of failing and 1% of taking all the failures and really, truly putting the Mm -hmm. gas pedal down to the floor and then succeeding. So, yeah, no, I, I, I remember when I was a, you know, a young impressionable trying to be carpenter. Right. And I didn't believe in myself yet, but I was actually doing very good work, but I didn't think I was and questioning myself. And, you know, you have that whole imposter syndrome and like, when is, you know, when is someone going to tell me, Oh my gosh, you're good. (laughs) right? You're there. Like, I'm like, I was there like a long before I knew I was there. And I remember one of my mentors, you know, one of my, you know, buddies, he was, you know, 30 years, my senior an old, old kind of crotchety carpenter. And he's like, Girl, like, I don't know how else to tell you this, but like the best carpenters have just literally made every single mistake you can make. (laughs) And that's (laughs) what makes you a good carpenter, right? You've already done all the failures. Now you know what not to do and how to fix it. And I was like, oh, okay. (laughs) right. (laughs) So until someone like told me that, I was like, oh, so afraid of making a mistake, right? And he's like, no, 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 just make them all. Just make them fast. Like, just get through them all, right? So yes. I, I think that's part of the process of, of growing is like, 
you're just going to make some things that are going to happen not the way you want. And you just, you just incorporate them and that's what makes you better. Right. Um, so, so that kind of takes us to 10 years. And then, so what has been going on say in the last seven years, like how has the business grown? How do you, um, you know, once you sort of felt comfortable in the sense of like, Oh, I can really do this. I know how to do this. Well, how did you, how did you transition that your dad's business into your own business and then kind of give it your own style and really flesh it out. So it's like your business, right? Not your dad's business. Right. Well, I do believe in transparency when you share your story, because the reality of our life is nothing is always pretty. And most of the time it's not, um, at least to the outside world, this is life. But Mm -hmm. the way I transitioned my father's business into my own, um, was through several years of a previous marriage. And then um, at some point we parted ways. I, I, and to back it up, I had a, um, I was diagnosed with melanoma cancer. It had spread to my lymph nodes. I had to go and take a year to get treatment at MD Anderson in Houston, Texas. And then, you know, not long after that, I adopted my son. And then not long after that, I got a divorce. So mm. I would say the series of those three big ticket items. That's a hard three years. Life, yeah, that's <laughs> a lot, right? Yeah. Um, I think it was spread out over maybe more like, you know, five. But mm-hmm. um, uh, but nonetheless, it forced me to really decide how I wanted to spend the rest of my life. And when I was a single mom, um, I was still running, uh, the, I would, I would say the tail end of the development and the production home building company that I owned with my previous husband. And again, trying to make a decision about how I wanted to spend the rest of my life. Should I go find another career or should I reinvent myself? And I chose to reinvent myself and decided to create actually Rachel Brown homes and go in the direction of being an actual custom home builder. Mm-hmm. Um, and so in the last six plus years, I have been building higher end custom homes and land developments for production builders, but also, you know, smaller niche developments for myself. And so I took the idea truly that I wanted to create art. I wanted to provide clients with a level of customer service. I just didn't think they were getting. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm sure you can relate to this as well, but even growing up and into the earlier part of my career, I, I heard a lot of complaints about home builders and their inability to listen and that they don't give any validation to the client or the knowledge that the client has or won't allow the client to kind of help in solving problems. And I just didn't like that, right? And maybe it was my experience in getting a psychology degree and I just married it all together, but I just thought there had to be a better way. And by nature, I think we as women Mm -hmm. have a propensity um, because God (laughs) designed us such, right, that we are nurturing and we want to make sure that whoever that we are responsible for is happy and getting their needs met. And we like to listen and we like to communicate and we like to be detail oriented. So I wanted to take all of those natural God given blessings and use them in a, in a career path that I thought maybe was missing here. And that's what I did. So. 
Oh, I love that. Well, that's a perfect transition to why I brought you on the show. So, um, I You're want, welcome. yeah, thank you. Um, that was not planned, but thank you. Um, yeah, I specifically wanted to sort of talk a little bit about this subject that I don't think very rarely gets talked about, which I've, you know, I've been doing it for 30 something years now, but, um, that I strongly believe that women have a huge competitive advantage in this trade and it's not really being used or talked about. And specifically like when it comes to selling and working with other women, right. As clients. And so I kind of wanted to get a little bit of your experience and like my experience, like a little bit back and forth because we both do design and we're working with a lot of pain points that our clients have, which are basically the woman of the house, right? Um, I think a lot of men that own companies, even though the the industry is changing, right? It's not, I, I don't really think the men understand how hiring women and then putting them on the front edge actually dramatically increases their ability to sell and close clients, right? So I wanted to kind of talk a little bit about like my experience and your experience and how I'm hoping that might actually help some other owners or women decide to own their own companies because it's an enormous advantage, I feel. Um, And I know a lot of people think it's a weakness to have you know, there's a girl, she's smaller, she's whatever. But I'm like, no, you're not using her <laughs> in the right way, right? Like she's the <laughs> best thing that can bring you clients. So um, can you kind of, I'll share a little bit of my experience, but I want you to be able to talk about yeah. like, how do you, you know, how have you improved your selling process by focusing on the woman, focusing on the things that bother her, her pain points. And my guess would be closing more deals because they're easier to to close because you're literally meeting her where she is, right? Can you talk a little bit like how you sell custom homes and why you think it's, how you think it's different than how your dad did it? Sure. And and by the way, I I would like to mention that I, I understand sometimes in conversations like this, we speak in generalizations and that is just the world that we live in. But I would like to say, um, for example, SunWest Custom Homes, uh, the owner, they built um, the New American Home, which was the model home out in Las Vegas for the um, for the builder show this past year. And I don't know if you went, you were able to walk through the house. I didn't. I went the year before. Okay. Okay. It was, it's a phenomenal home. But anyway, I was able to speak to him a little bit uh, um, at the, you know, the VIP party the night before the show. And he is a huge, huge proponent of hiring women. He hires female superintendents. He said that, like, I'm going to get the numbers wrong here, but like 90% of his staff is female because he learned a long time ago right, that women are more communicative and they're more detail-oriented, and he builds these $5 million-plus homes, and it's really conducive to catering to the clientele. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so well, really, if so he's a model, but most of the people in the industry are not doing that. True. No, I agree. I, I, I 100% agree. And so I would say that the, the, the advantages of being a female work for both the men and the women that I build for. So I'll give you a couple of examples. When I'm making the sale and then we build the house and actually it's a reality. So when I say make a sale, it sounds super like gross and dirty, right? But it's just the reality of what you're, you're pitching yourself when you're meeting with people. But women that want to build a custom home 
are intimidated by the process, mostly because they don't know anything about the process and they don't know anything about construction, right? So really, they're if they're married, they are relying on their husband to handle the mechanicals, uh, the structure, the mechanicals. And then they're kind of waiting around for sheetrock to start because that's when they see what they can familiarize themselves with, like paint colors and tile and counters. And so I would say one of the the, the biggest selling points being a female uh, home builder for women is that if they if they meet with me alone on a job site, they don't feel like there's that intimidation factor there where if they mm-hmm. don't know what I'm talking yeah, about. Yeah, they don't feel stupid just saying, what yeah, is they that? Don't feel yep. stupid. Or they may say, I don't know what that is. And quite frankly, I don't care what it is. I know you're going to handle it for me. Um, let's talk about the fun stuff. And then mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, great. Let's talk about the fun stuff. And then I guess on the flip side of that is men really truly want to be heard. I mean, you know, men, Mm -hmm. when we live in a town full of engineers here and they all are smart people and, you know, they really want to be heard. They may not know all of the things that we know being in construction, but they would like to be able to talk to their builder without being ignored or put off. And so I would say for my male clientele, it's the same thing. They feel like if I call Rachel and discuss an issue with her, she's not going to just shoo me off and tell me to mind my own business That's unless a, they just get way out of control. And right. in that case, we just hit them with sticks or hammers. <laughs> yeah. That's when I bring my husband in <laughs> just so you know. <laughs> and then they just immediately are like, Oh, they're respectful. Right. I'm like, Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's, uh, that's when I bring my nine-year-old in because there he is, uh, he's a know-it-all and can tell anybody what to do. Nice. And so, are you, um, are you specific, like when you're, when you're, um, prospecting and getting, uh, people to, you know, women to contact you, how are you doing that? Like how, what kind of, what's your selling process? Are they, are you reaching out to them? Is it, you know, 99% referral based? Is it, um, are you, is there some sort of prospecting you're doing where you're making it feel more comfortable for the women to contact you? That's a great question. I would say it's, probably in thirds, right? You, you've got to you, I market to what I feel like is a certain market, uh, a huge proponent of referrals. And then of course, um, you, you know, I, I would say a large segment of is it's just people walking in the door and me kind of steering them away if it's just not going to work out. And I would want most people to understand that when you build a house with someone and you work with them for that length of time, usually it's over a year and a half, right? Mm -hmm. Um, On a good, on a good, on a good house. (laughs) Yeah. Or or more. Um, That's a long time to work with someone that you Mm -hmm. don't jive with. And so a long time ago, I started, I take all of, I make all of my employees take personality tests, the DISC personality test. Um, I share mine with them. I um, encourage my employees to learn how to assess someone's personality type so that when we work with them, you can really truly service them in the way that their personality requires. And so when I'm prospecting, I'm trying to do the same thing. If if I, it wouldn't, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how big the budget is. If the client isn't going to fit the chemistry with me, it's not going to work out. And all 
of the things that you hope and want for, including but not limited to a fantastic house and a nice referral, Mm -hmm. just are not going to happen. Yeah. And it's like dating. And and Mm -hmm. if you date people that you really, truly don't see yourself getting married, then you, you are going down the wrong path. Yeah, for me, it's all about expectations. And um, if their expectations, again, m- the scale is different, right? Because you're managing way more than I was, but still kitchens are intensely personal, right? right. So the stakes right. are high. Um, but for me, like I can tell if I, if there's absolutely no way I can meet the expectations that are completely unrealistic given the budget and the time and, you know, and just the personality of the person, like it doesn't, I'm not a good fit for them, Right. And it's not a matter of quality or any of that. It's just like if their expectations are so unrealistic, um, I already know that it's not going to end up well. <laughs> like I don't need to go through the whole three months of building a kitchen with them to get to that same place. Um, <laughs> and so it's kind of sounds like it's similar to you, like it's a year and a half, but you can kind of see the warning signs up front. And like you said, it is very, very emotional. It's a lot of money. It's a lot of decisions, right? Which is very stressful on the client. It's very stressful for us, right? Because it's a ton of responsibility. And if you if you can't work with someone for me that's very respectful and really values what I'm bringing to the table, that it's not worth it for me personally. Right. Because if you don't have that from the beginning, it just degrades, <laughs> right? Over time. And you need that, like, it's like money in the bank. It's like emotional money in the bank so that you can talk nicely to each other, right? Get through these difficult times because it will happen, right? Because construction is emotional and it's stressful and you need to be able to work with people that really respect you in both directions. So um, that's sort of been my experience. Um, so how many how many sales staff do you have? Um, I have three total employees. I have a project manager, I have an office manager, and then I have a warranty coordinator who also runs another division of my company, um, which is rental management. Okay. So I've got three, three people that work for me. And so you're the lead sales rep then? Well, or, I, not necessarily. Not rep, I, have a sales, but he- I have a sales funnel and you have to get through a couple of the steps to be able to have FaceTime with me. Hmm. Um, so um, you know, they make their way through my office manager first. She asks some key questions and does some preliminary, um, I hate to say the word weeding out, but I no, can't no, think of that's, a better that's, term right now, but that's not bad. Preliminary, <laughs> like weeding out or redirecting, redirecting mm-hmm. of folks that we know just either we can't, we, you know, the budget's not there or their expectations and reality don't line up mm-hmm. and, or they're looking for, so I'll tell you this one thing that I've reached now in my career is I truly am a design builder. Um, and so that being said, I, of course, I want to try to get the best pricing for my clients, but I'm not going to be the most economical builder in town. I'm just not, that's not my strong suit. That's not what my passion is. That's not what the culture in my office is. So if someone calls, right, and they're shopping a set of floor plans, and they're passing it around to every builder in town and they're really looking for the best deal. Like, I don't want them to waste their yeah. time with me because I'm not going to be able to give mm-hmm. it to them. It sounds like your business model was very similar to mine. Um, I know like when you're new, like we were talking about like sidebar being an entrepreneur, right? In the construction business, there's a lot of levels to that. And like finding where you fit, 
right? Where you fit in the market, there's like so many layers and so many ways to um, make money in this industry, fill your creative needs, right? And everybody kind of has to do it in their own way, right? And right. and so I was, I'm basically very similar when it comes to um, building kitchen cabinets was I, after probably, I mean, that was 25 years ago, but I'd say within five or six years of starting, I transitioned from working for builders, right? Where I was a sub because I didn't like the lack of control and they were kind of jerks to me on the job. And yeah. I really wanted to talk directly to the homeowner because I could see that a lot of the problems could be avoided very simply with like a 10 minute conversation. <laughs> and, and so I got frustrated by that. So then I just changed my whole business model and I just um, intentionally marketed only to the woman of the house, not the husband. And so I would circumvent the builders and then I would be like a private sub on the whole job. So that was sort of my way of, um, you know, working in the industry was, and then I did that the rest of the time. I only, I never worked under a general, which I know is unusual. Um, again, yes. I'm in California and I could make that work, right? So it's very specific <laughs> to where you live and I kind of had a following. And so I just only worked with the woman of the house and the mom, right, of the house. And I designed it directly with her. And there was almost no interaction outside of, you know, the husband was involved, but I mean, the primary contact and all the design, you know, 75, 80% of it, all the problem solving, all of that stuff happened right up front and very quickly because it was just two girls talking, right? And I could show her what's possible <laughs> and what's not possible. And like, this is way out of your budget. Let's just skip out of that. Like, let's just get to the nitty gritty, right? So right. Um, yeah, it's kind of interesting how I think a lot of people that aren't in the trades or maybe don't quite understand, like there's lots of ways to do that and make money. And it sounds like, sounds like we're very similar and kind of on the same page. Um, I yes. also very rarely work with people that shop plans, you know, shop sketches and all that. Um, or I just tell them, come to me at the end, <laughs> right? <laughs> just go and see everybody else, go and see all my competitors and then come back to me. And in like in a 30 minute conversation, I'm going to close the deal. So that's great. That's yeah. so great. That was kind of my, um, that's good. I'm going to use that. Now. Yeah. I'm going to use that. Thank you. Yeah. So, so speaking of, so I thank you for sharing kind of your experience with that. My experience was that because I transitioned from, you know, working under builders to being able to work directly with the moms of the house, I created sort of my own sales process and really quickly learned that if I could just educate her real quickly on like what her budget can do and can't do functionally. You know, I found kind of my competitive advantage, which was I knew how to build the cabinets and I could build whatever I wanted. So I could really break it down to her of what's going to work and what's not going to work. And I, you know, I came up with basically, you know, for me, there's basically like seven problems in a kitchen. And so I helped her solve all seven of those and create, created like a method and then I just sold that process over and over and over again. So for me, I wish a lot of, I wish a lot of people that own construction companies uh, would hire women to understand that they can kind of cut through a lot of that flack, right? And get to the real issues really quickly with women, right? Um, right. Like for instance, you probably know that a lot of and this still goes on. I just got a job, you know, like two weeks ago. Someone called and is like 
you know, my cabinet maker won't look at my Pinterest board. And I'm like, really? <laughs> like that's still going on. It's like 2020. Like, really? Like it's <laughs> right. I'm like, just look at the board and it's a really, t- it's a fast, like 30 minute conversation and the kitchen's planned, right? It's so simple. And yet a lot of people won't do that. And so, um, I love that you're just, you're really encompassing all the things that I think being a woman can do in the trades. And it's a really strong competitive advantage, I feel. Yeah, I I would agree. You know, and I think you saying that, I really truly believe that aside from just people being stubborn, maybe question mark, Mm -hmm. I think that there is, there's a fear in allowing someone like the Pinterest board conversation. I, I have so many conversations with my subcontractors contractors about Pinterest board. And by the way, I've gotten now at a point in my career, like if you can't get on board with it, then we probably shouldn't be doing business together anyway. Mm-hmm. But uh, I have learned that the root of the problem when somebody wants to deny that is there's a fear that something's going to get, that's going to go out of control. Mm-hmm. And that there is a fear that, if a woman picks out a picture on Pinterest of what she wants her kitchen to look like, then she'll scroll down and then it's going to change and then it's going to change and then it's going to change. But what I have found is really, truly just taking about five minutes of looking at multiple pictures. And I know you're, you're mm-hmm. shaking your head. Yes. I am. I'm literally yes. shaking my head right now. It sounds to me like this has been your career. And I love that about you. Good God, Amani, I wish you lived here and you were still bidding cabinets and you could trim and we could conquer Huntsville together. But yeah, um, but truly five minutes on the front end may save you three hours on the back end. Or more because I can just quickly go, look, sweetie, what you're showing me is the same style over and over again, but like your kitchen's half the size of that styled photo. So let's take a couple of elements from that, right? And fit it into this $20,000 budget, right? For the cabinets. Because what you're looking at is a $100,000 cabinet job and it's the ceilings are 15 feet tall and you've got eight foot ceilings. And she's like, oh, okay. Like it's such a simple conversation. And then she's just like, okay, that's great. You're right. I just like the floating shelves and I like this color and maybe the door. And like, she's thrilled, right? Cause it right. basically looks like that picture, but it's in her kitchen. Right. Versus, you know, you know, lots and lots of back and forth conversations and lots and lots of driving out with sample doors and lots and lots of this back and forth. It's like, no, it like none of 90% of that was never going to happen. And you, and having the, having the customer who doesn't understand, right. Pick the choices is just problematic from the beginning versus True. helping them understand like what's realistic. Then most, I mean, that's, I've just never had a woman that's like, oh, well, I still want it anyways. <laughs> I'm like, well, add 20000 to your budget and then we'll do it, right? And we'll raise your ceilings and whatever. So, um, yeah, I just think a, I just think it's just a real missed opportunity in construction that women are great at solving problems and they're way great at helping other women be realistic about what's possible, right? And it's so much easier to hear that for me from a woman than a guy that's like, no, we're not doing that. Well, why? Right. So I just think it's a real, um, it's just, there's just a huge amount of opportunity there for women. And I just wish more women were doing it 
And I wish more men saw that using women in that way, in a really positive way, would really help their businesses, to be honest, be more successful. True. You know, I'm not really sure that that is something that would, you know, is going to change overnight. But if you look at the last just 50 years of this country, we've made a lot of changes in terms of um, women growing in the workforce. So it's slow and sure. And, you know, Mm -hmm. there are, I'll tell you this, the National Association of Home Builders has this amazing group called the Professional Women in Building. And I'm a member of it. I've served on the committee of it. Um, It's like this big group of we've got your back women and they're in all aspects of the industry marketing. Um, maybe they work at a vending house, like a plumbing fixture store. Maybe they're a trim carpenter, maybe they're Mm -hmm. a home builder, or maybe they're, um, a sales agent. It's all women related to the construction industry. And I would just say that truly, if you feel like you want to be a part of the construction industry, but you're not you didn't have a daddy that was in it. You don't have a brother that's in it. You don't know any men that wouldn't laugh you out of the room, but there's some aspect of it that you want to be a part of. You need to a reach out to somebody like me that you follow on Instagram or Facebook and say, help me. And then B, you need to join a group like what I'm a part of and surround yourself with other women that just like we're doing today can help guide you, mentor you and encourage you. And, and, and I will say this too, it may seem like their majority of men are not interested in hiring women, but look, I, I know a whole lot of men out there that enjoy working with women Mm -hmm. and it's because, you know, I roll up on a job site and I've got like this online um, technology program where I have all my selections of my clients. I've got that on my phone and my iPad and I've got a folder that's, divided a hundred ways to Saturday with all this <laughs> organizational system and right. I'm a very organized person. So if you're, a, if you're a tradesperson, it really makes your job easier. And also women have a tendency to really care. So if something's yeah. going on in your life, like maybe a man would just be like, yeah, sorry, you're sick. Let's get back to work. Whereas a woman may be like, Hey, look, what's going on with you. You don't look right. You know, mm-hmm. or Hey, how's your wife doing? You know, I heard she just had surgery. Is she recuperating? It's good for productivity and just people being, yep. It's good for all that stuff. Client management, the whole thing. It really is. That's awesome. Well, I just love you sharing like your experience and everything that you're doing in the trades and just, you know, kind of pushing this concept forward of women thriving in the trades. And you're definitely a really good example of that. Um, you mentioned reading. I personally love to read as well. Do you have anything that you, that you think that would be inspiring for, for some young woman or, or, you know, young man that, that you would recommend to kind of follow that's inspiring? I do. It's an easy read. Mm -hmm. Uh, it's called the obstacle is the way. Have you ever read that book? I have not. No. The Obstacle is the Way, and it's uh, an easy read. It's about overcoming adversity or overcoming challenges. And there's even um, like a podcast in relation to construction about it. But the essence of the book is about Marcus Aurelius, who was the Roman Empire. Um, And if anybody doesn't like to read, you can just watch the movie Gladiator. But, But all that being said, it's really truly taking the obstacle that's in front of you And that becomes the way the obstacle becomes the solution. And it really changed the way that I looked at my company, changed the way I looked at running um, 
you know, guiding employees, leading employees, even my family, my son, myself. So the obstacle is the way that I, it's an easy read. And it's a great book that I carry with me in my truck and mm. my car so that I can reference it. Nice. I love it. I love a new book that I've never heard of. So I will absolutely, I'm, I'm reading, um, um, I think it's called angels and no, it's called angels and a sat. Oh, angels and assassins. And it's about, um, it's not about construction, but it's pretty interesting. It's about, it's about this little, yeah, this little, um, switch in your brain (laughs) that basically turns your brain chemistry on and off from being positive to negative. It's pretty interesting. And, um, so that's sort of the book that I'm, I'll text it to you. <laughs> That's the book that I'm Angels reading about. Angels and Assassins. I yeah. Like it. I will, that will yeah. Be it's like this screen. little chemical that can switch in your brain and, and make it better or worse. So, um, well, this has been an absolute delight. We'll definitely have you back on the show. You you can Wonderful. clearly speak about, you know, lots of aspects of this. And um, yeah, just thank you so much for sharing your story and and everything you're doing for women in the trades. Yeah. Thank you for including me and thank you for everything that you've done. And I just think it's very impressive uh, reading about your career, your experiences, and that um, that you chose to continue your path. And sounds like you really didn't let anybody get in the way, way of that. And this is a conversation for another day, but you had <laughs> mentioned that you were married. And, you know, that's a whole nother dynamic mm-hmm. often. But maybe we can talk on in the future. But thank you very much for including me. I've quite enjoyed it. And I cannot wait to cheers you with a glass of wine soon. Thanks so much for listening to Remodel Your Life. I sure have enjoyed being with you today. And if you really like our show, we'd love it if you would subscribe through iTunes. You can always send us feedback through email at Camille at RemodelYourLifePodcast.com. And I'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to the Remodel Your Life Podcast. This episode has ended, but your remodeling journey can continue. Head over to RemodelYourLifePodcast.com to access all the resources, tools, and links mentioned in this episode. Until next time, get your hands dirty and create the life you want from the foundation up. And thanks again to Blue Apron. I just love cooking with them and so appreciate their support of my show. Mm -hmm.